Good morning. It's good to see all of you here. We're grateful that you have come to worship with us at Ivy Creek this morning and excited uh, to be with you on this Sunday before Thanksgiving. And uh, Thanksgiving is, is, I think, my favorite, my favorite holiday celebration of the year. I, I like it because it's dependable. It always comes on the fourth Thursday of the month of November. Not all holidays do that. I love the fact that you can always depend on when Thanksgiving is coming. And so uh, I'm excited to be able to celebrate with family this week. And I certainly hope that all of you have the opportunity to do that as well and to reflect upon all the blessings that God has blessed you with. Spend time thanking the Lord for his goodness, reminding yourself of just how good God has been and, and that you're able to do that alongside family and friends and that you're able to give testimony to God's great mercy and his grace in your life. That's been our goal this morning and all of our singing and everything that we've done in our worship. And we want to continue to do that uh, today. So if you have your Bibles with you, and I hope that you do, please take them out and turn with me to the book of Acts and to chapter 27. Acts chapter 27. I want to read just a couple of verses to you this morning that really come within a larger context of of, of stuff that's going on at the end of the book of Acts. And never, I, I, nevertheless, I do think that these two verses that I want to read for you this morning are appropriate verses for us to read on the Sunday before Thanksgiving. And, and I'm going to read verses 35 and 36, which quite honestly, I believe, provide for us a brief picture of what can only be described as a meal of Thanksgiving. These verses describe the actions of the Apostle Paul, and hear what, hear what Luke, the author of Acts, says, beginning in verse 35. He says, And when he had said these things, that's Paul, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. Then they were all encouraged, and they took food for themselves. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. This morning, Lord, we thank you for this day and for this opportunity that we have to gather as the people of God together to sing praises to your name. You are our living hope. Those words have just left our lips this morning in song. Now, as we open the word before us, I believe you are going to reveal to us that you continue to be our living hope. It's revealed to us right here in the words of Scripture. And then as later in the service as we partake of the Lord's Supper together, I pray that that would be a testimony of the fact that you are our living hope. And then when we leave this place and we go back to our homes and into the communities and into our workplaces this week, and as we spend time with family and friends, may our testimony and our words and our actions constantly point others to the fact that you are our living. I pray these things in the name of Christ, and for his sake I pray, amen. Now let me go ahead and just acknowledge, if you've got your bulletins there and you look at them this morning, you will notice that this is a no-point sermon. (laughs) I hope you will not jump to the conclusion that this sermon is of no point. There is a point, it's my sermon in a sentence, we will get to it. In short order, but I want us to work our way through the text, and as opposed to what I normally do, which is provide you with either some one-word hooks or some 
statements that kind of direct our thoughts. I'm going to leave the Holy Spirit and you up to that this morning. There's things that as we move through this text, you might want to jot down things that maybe you want to go back and look at later. Uh, there may be some things that, that, the, that the Holy Spirit brings to your mind. I've given you plenty of white space today to do that. I'm going to offer you some thoughts as we get toward the end, but, but I'm going to allow you to do that today. And, and I hope that you, we can just keep track together as we work our way through this passage toward the main idea that I want to communicate. Now, let me reiterate what I, I said earlier in my introductory points, and that is that I believe the words that I've read for you from Acts chapter 27 are appropriate enough for us to consider on this Sunday before Thanksgiving. You have all of the ingredients of a Thanksgiving meal there. I don't know if you really noticed it or not. You, you, have, you, have, uh, you have food, admitted it's not turkey and dressing that is there, but you do have Paul breaking bread. So we do have the element of food that is there. You also have the element of Thanksgiving because Paul thanked the Lord as he partook of that. And then you have in verse 36, everyone who was there on the ship eating that food together. So you have community and you have uh, the eating of food. So though it is a bit stripped down, all the elements that will likely occur for most of us this coming Thanksgiving will are, are, are right there in the, in the text. You have food, you have Thanksgiving, and you have the eating of that food. But as I also mentioned to you in the introductory point, these verses come in the context of a much more intense and detailed story. In fact, I would propose to you that the surrounding situation that, that comes around this verse and these verses represent about as severe and deadly of a trial as the Apostle Paul ever faced in his life. And it, this meal is described in these two verses was certainly not then the warm and abundant and loving and relaxed Thanksgiving meal that probably all of us are looking forward to this week. Rather, this meal occurred during a time when Paul and all of those around him were under the threat of death and in complete despair of surviving their circumstances. So let me just back up for a moment and, and, and fill in some of the background of what's going on in this passage so that we can sort of understand what's happening. Acts chapter 27 and 28 tell the story of Paul's journey from Caesarea, which was a major city in Israel's, uh, on Israel's coast right on the Mediterranean Sea. And Paul is leaving, had left Caesarea and is making his way to Rome, which is the ruling city of the Roman Empire. And earlier in the book of Acts, we read that Paul had been arrested in Jerusalem and he had been accused of sedition. And after a series of court hearings, because of his Roman citizenship, Paul appealed to be tried by Caesar in Rome. Chapter 27 records for us the beginning leg of his journey in which Paul is traveling with some companions, but he's also under the supervision of a Roman centurion named Julius. And, and they make their way from Caesarea to Rome via a ship along the coastline of the Mediterranean Sea. Now, I'm not going to go back and recount everything that happens in these chapters. I would encourage you to go back and read them for yourselves, but I will give you this footnote. All folks who believe that the Bible is boring to read have never read Acts chapter 27 and 28 because the details that are there that Luke records here are among the 
the story that is told here with, with, if you take your time and read through it and imagine the details that Luke gives to you, I cannot imagine that there is another naval story or story at sea or any kind of expedition that you'll read that has any more kind of hooks to it and will get you excited and, and, and drive you than, than what you read here. That's my, that's my, my advice to you. Go back and read it for yourself. Here's what I want you to know. Luke points out that this voyage began serenely enough. In fact, you kind of you kind of just get this idea. They set sail and they when when they leave Caesarea, they end up at a place named Fair Havens. Why would you? Well, I mean that that just tells you just how good it was to get to Fair Havens. But but once they were there, everything turns south. We might say. As a matter of fact, Paul was a seasoned traveler and, and of his own, and, and they're at Fair Havens, and, and evidently the, the, the centurion soldier Julius really wanted to get back to Rome. He had business to take care of there, obviously, so he wanted to book another ship, another merchant ship, to put Paul and all of the companions on so that they can continue their journey. But Paul says, listen, this is not the time of year for us to be boarding a ship and heading that way. And the fact of the matter was he was right. Many times during that time of year in the Mediterranean Sea, there were hurricane force winds that would come up and things that would batter ships. And Paul says, I think we need to stay here. But Julius thought otherwise, and he made the decision to depart Fair Havens on a merchant ship. And, and that ended up with everyone on board being swamped by a megastorm out at sea. In fact, note with me verse 14 of chapter 27. Luke says that a tempestuous headwind arose. Now, that is the English translation of the Greek word tufanokos, which we get our word typhoon from that word. Now, hurricane force wind blew down upon the ship that Paul and his companions were on, and it ultimately blew them down toward the northern coast of Africa. And they were as helpless and as listless as a cork in a bathtub. They were just being tossed anywhere. There was no place for them to go, nothing for them to do except be at the mercy of the winds. In fact, it said, as I said before, many ships, they have found uh, the wreckage of many ships down along that coast and down in that part of, of the northern part of Africa where ships just like theirs had been completely capsized and destroyed. Everyone on that ship was helpless. They were at the mercy of the storm. And Luke says in verse 18 that they were exceedingly tempest-tossed. He described he describes how they used cables to kind of run along and underneath the ship in order to kind of support the structure of the ship so that it would not be broken in two during the, the storm as they faced it. They also took just about everything that they had that was weighted and they threw it overboard to kind of lighten the load so that they would not sink. And according to verse 20, you will also read that, that it was so dark all the time that the sun and the, the stars were, were, could not be seen for days. And you know, they had no way of knowing how they, where they were or what they were doing except to be able to mark it by the stars and by the sun. And so they had no idea where they were. Luke says... No small tempest beat upon us so that all that we would, so that all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. Let me pause for just a moment and ask Have you ever been in a trial like that? 
You know, a physical storm like the one that's described here in Acts chapter 27, I believe is, is an apt picture of what many of us go through and have faced in our lives. It presents something that's wild and untamable, dangerous, something outside of your control and your ability to, to navigate through. You ever been there? What did you do? What can you do? You can take drastic measures the way that these, these sailors and these, these men aboard this ship did. You can, you can draw whatever resources you've got together and put it together as best you can. You can, you can do your best to cover up and, and protect yourself. You can, you can do whatever you can to slow things down as best you can. You can throw off whatever seems unnecessary to lighten the load. And then after doing all of that, the reality is that sometimes... The trial just hangs on and on and on. And you, you really can't see any light at the end of the tunnel. If you've ever experienced something like that, then my guess is that whether you're willing to say it out loud or not, you understand Luke's sentiment there in verse 20. That, that it is at points in your life you've been tempted to give up hope. Maybe you already have. Let me ask you another question. When the storms of life have turned you every which way but loose, and no sun shines, and, and the waves continue to batter you and pummel you, when you've had to throw everything that you've got overboard to keep from sinking, who do you turn to? What do you grab onto? Who do you grab onto? I want you to notice what Luke tells us in verse 21 and following. He says, but after a long abstinence from food. No, no kidding, right? I mean, you're on a boat and you're being thrown side to side. And, and I, get, I, get, I get seasick just riding in the car from here to the mall. So, you know, motion sickness gets me. I can't hardly read this without getting nauseated, just reading it and imagining what they were going through. So no kidding, no one has eaten. But Paul stands in the midst of them and says, men, you should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. And I love the fact that Paul stood up and said, I told you so. <laughs> told you you shouldn't have left. But then he says this, and now I urge you to take heart for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve saying, do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe, and this is Paul speaking, I believe God that it will be just as it was told to me. Now, right here would be a good time for me to remind you of a promise that God had made to Paul at an earlier point. Back in Acts chapter 23, at a time when Paul was dejected and he was probably questioning whether or not he had done the right thing, the Lord Jesus appeared to him. 
And he said to Paul in verse 11 of Acts chapter 23, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. Now that promise had had been made to Paul over two years earlier. And now finally... He was on his way to Rome, but here he was in the midst of the Mediterranean Sea on a storm-tossed ship. And it certainly appeared as if all hope was going to be lost and that his life would be lost. And it looked as though Paul would never make it to Rome. But in his grace and mercy, God sent an angel to remind Paul of the promise that had been made to him. And he assured Paul that he had no reason to be afraid In fact, not only would he survive, but everyone else on that ship with him would survive. Now, brothers and sisters, let me remind you of something that I remind you of quite often. You hear me say it regularly, and I say it because you need to be reminded of it, and so do I. All of us need to be reminded of this repeatedly, and that is this. When the storms of life come, when the pressures of life come, when the struggles and the pain and the heartaches, when they come into your life and when they, when they just grab onto you and when they pound you and you don't believe that you can go on, this is what you must do. You can turn to the Lord and to his promises because he says he will never leave you, nor will he forsake you. Who can you turn to? What can you grab on to in the very moments of life when it seems as if all hope is gone? You can grab on to Jesus and you can cling to his promises because he will never fail you. Listen, these these sailors, they had no GPS system. They were adrift at sea. They didn't know where they were going. Not only that, but the wind and the waves just beat upon that ship day after day after day. And they were sick physically. They were sick emotionally. They were afraid. All hope was going to be lost. But Paul says, be encouraged. God makes good on his promises. I want to encourage you with that same message today. Because I know that there's some of you in this room that are facing some very difficult times. I know that you're going through some severe struggles. I know that some of you feel kind of like these sailors on this ship. Everywhere you turn, it just is one more wave and one more gust of wind blowing stuff, and it just seems like you're not going to ever get out of what you're in. You feel as if everything is just packing down on top of you. I know that some of you are that way. You may be sick physically. You may be sick emotionally. You may feel as if all hope is lost but I want you to hear the words of Scripture. You can always trust God because He always fulfills His promises. No matter what happens to you, God is always faithful. You can always cling to Him in the midst of the storm in which you find yourself. In fact, let me point you to the final words of the last verse of chapter 27, verse 44. You heard what the angel said to Paul, you're going to be fine, and so is everybody else on the ship. The last verse of 44 says, and so it was that they all escaped safely to land. All of them. That's exactly what God had promised Paul would happen. Just as he said it would happen, so it did. He kept his word. 
He always does. Now, I want you to understand something here that I believe is critically important, though. The promise that God gave to Paul in this case was precise and it was under special circumstances. God had specifically told Paul that he would make it to Rome and that he would stand before Caesar. So Paul knew that the storm that he endured on this ship could not and would not thwart God's plans. But let's be honest, you and I have no special promises given to us like that. As Christians, we're not promised that we will be spared such life-threatening circumstances and episodes such as it's described in this passage. In fact, one writer has noted this, Christians of the highest caliber may find themselves in circumstances in which life itself is threatened and faith will be necessary. But then he says this, this is faith not that we will live, but faith that even if we should die, God will not abandon us. You see, though, though Paul clung to this very specific promise that had been made to him that he would make it to Rome, you and I can cling to a promise that has been made to us that's even greater than that one. It's a promise that says no matter what happens to us and no matter what storms come into our lives, through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, God promises to deliver us safely and eternally to Him forever in heaven. Listen to the promises that, that the Scriptures give to us. Isaiah 43, verses 2 and 3 says this, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And though through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. And when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul wrote to the, to the Romans in Romans chapter 8 these words, and we're familiar with them. I'm going to condense them down. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and those who are called according to His purpose. He says then, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? For I am persuaded that nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then let me also point you to the words of the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter chapter 1. He tells us that even though we may be grieved by various trials in this life, even though we may feel as if our ship is going to be completely sunk by the storm that is coming through, we can still be joyfully confident that God in His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance uncorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away reserved in heaven for you. Page after page after page of Scripture reveals to us that we can be confident in God, that he, we can latch on to Him, we can turn to Him and grab on to Him in the midst of life's most difficult and, and harried trials. See, the message of Scripture reminds us that those who have trusted in Christ have an even greater, more expansive promise than even that which was given to the Apostle Paul concerning Caesar in Rome, that no matter what storm or trial comes our way, God will never leave us. He will never forsake us. And he always, 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 always delivers on his promises. 
Unfortunately, not everyone always believes that. Unfortunately, not everyone understands that, believes that, and acts upon it. In fact, we even see, a, we see an example of that in this text. Many in life, when they face life storms and struggles, they continue to trust in themselves and they trust in their own ingenuity and their own ability to get themselves out of the struggle that they're in. Luke tells us that the storm let up after 14 days. Can you imagine 14 days? After 14 days, the storm let up, began to, the, the ship began to drift toward land. They took soundings, had an idea of how far away from land they were. So some of the sailors on board, the, the veterans, they, they decided that they were going to, uh, yeah, we're going to drop anchor. Rather, what they were going to do was drop the skiff off of the big ship. They were going to drop the little boat, and they were going to jump off and let everybody else take care of themselves. Paul tells the centurion soldier on board in verse 31, he says, unless these men stay in this ship, you cannot be saved. So what do you think that soldier did? He took his sword out and he cut that boat loose and it just went all out to sea and every person stayed on board the ship. And that's really the scenario that brings us back to the verses that I read for you at the beginning this morning. You see, Paul knew that everyone on that ship was scared. Everyone was stressed out to the max. Everyone had gone about as far as they could go. So rather than Rather than only giving them words of encouragement, Paul also sensed that they needed an example to follow. So Luke tells us there in verse 33, as day was about to dawn, Paul implored them to all to take food, saying, today is the 14th day. You have waited and continued without food and eaten nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take nourishment, for this is for your survival since not a hair will fall from the head of any of you. Man, I wish somebody had made that promise to me. <laughs> and when he said these things, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. Then they were all encouraged and also took food themselves. And in all, we were 276 persons on the ship. So when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship and threw out the wheat into the sea. Now, when we understand all that's going on in this passage and we consider this meal of thanksgiving, in its context, we recognize that Paul's words of thanksgiving... Those were not just sentimental, obligatory words that someone offers before a meal. God, we thank you for this food. We thank you for your blessings of this day. Uh, bless, it to this, bless this food to the nourishment of our bodies. You, you know what I'm talking about. These words of thanksgiving were not just obligatory and sentimental. They were not just rote that just rolled off his lips. Rather, when Paul offered thanks to God, as one writer put it, it was a bold, gutsy expression of faith. Effectively, Paul stated to everyone present that the God whom I belong to and whom I serve is the sovereign ruler of the universe. He is the God in whose hands all the things that can touch me are, even this storm. 
And I declare that I will trust him to cause this, that he will cause this storm to turn out for my good and for the perfecting of his purpose in me. And I will prove it by standing in front of everyone and thanking him publicly. So what are we to draw from that? What application can we make? Well, you may be able to come up with quite a few, and these are just a few that I've come up with. And the first I would tell you is this, when you thank God, be real. When you express your thanksgiving before God, be real. There's no reason to pretend that things are not the way that they really are. When you give thanks to God, he doesn't expect you to ignore the fact that your circumstances are difficult. Paul wasn't disillusioned about the seriousness of the situation that he and the other men on that ship were in. He knew of the danger that he faced, and he knew of the danger that all of them faced. Giving thanks to God does not mean that you ignore your circumstances. Rather, it means that you are to express your trust in him while you are going through those circumstances. Another point of application that I think we could take from this is that when you, are, when you thank God, be active. Imagine if Paul had stood up and addressed those men on that ship who were desperate and hungry and scared to death and all he had said to them was that they needed to trust in God's sovereign protection and then he went over and sat back down and put his head in his hands and he moaned and groaned right along with them during the middle of that storm. What kind of example would that have been for those men? Do you think anyone would have believed what he said? Would his actions have accompanied what he said he believed? Would there have been any reason for them to have had any hope? That's not what Paul did. Rather, he called them to action and he called them to eat. And think about how important that is. He told them that they would need nourishment for their own survival. They had not eaten in 14 days. You need to eat because you're going to survive. We could read underneath that. You're fixing to need some energy to get back to shore. They needed to act on the promises that God had given and I want you to know thankfulness requires action. It necessitates that we, we move forward upon the conviction that we have that God has said what will come to pass will come to pass. It doesn't mean that we just curl up and do nothing, but that we should take appropriate actions. Be real, be active, and I would say be bold. When Paul openly testified to the promise of God, he worshiped God publicly. <laughs> he took bread and gave thanks in the presence of all. He, he didn't hide his thankfulness. He didn't just kind of mutter under his breath, God, I hope that you'll bless this food to be the strength and nourishment. No, there was no hiding. There was no, there was no lack of boldness with him. He proclaimed his faith boldly in front of them that God would deliver him and them through the storm. Be real, be active, be bold, and then finally just be confident. Be confident. Think about it. If there was any doubt in Paul's mind that he was going to be delivered from this ship, do you think that he would have had any reason to eat to begin with? None. No reason to do that. But he was confident. Think about this also. The, the men on that ship obviously were moved by his example because what did they do next? Did you notice what they did? After they had eaten, they were encouraged, and then they took what? the remaining wheat, and they threw it overboard. They threw overboard the last bit of anything that they could have gone back to 
for sustenance later. Why? Because they believed what Paul had said regarding his God. Brothers and sisters, when you thank God, be confident. Be confident that God is going to do what he said he's going to do. As I said, those are just a few applications that can be drawn from this passage, and I'm sure there are many more. Nevertheless, here's the main point that I've been wanting to drive us to all morning long. I've been wanting to get us to this. And that's when you're thrown into the midst of a storm. And if you're not in one right now, just wait a little while because you'll be in one. All of us go through them. When you're thrown in the midst of the storm, you and I must learn how to be real. We must learn how to be active. We must learn how to be bold. And we must learn how to be confident. Thanking God in the midst of that storm. In fact, my sermon in a sentence this morning is this. When we go through the storms of life, we behave most like Christians when we honestly acknowledge the storms and actively, boldly, and confidently thank God in the midst of them. Here's here's what I know. There are some of you in this room in a storm right now, and it's terrifying, and it's overwhelming, and it's painful, and it's agonizing. And it's testing your faith. And it could be a storm of financial reasons. It could be physical reasons. It could be a storm that a family member is doing something that is just absolutely breaking your heart. I don't know what the storm is that you're facing, but today is not the day to set that storm aside. Oftentimes you will hear me pray, and there's a reason that I do it, but oftentimes you'll hear me pray, God, help us to block out all the things that are constantly trying to drag us into our attention and would seek to to drive us off course. Today, I'm actually praying just the opposite. I don't want you to throw out all the things that are out there, that the storms that you're going through. I want you to embrace what that is as we come together to thank God for who he is and what he's done. I want you to remind yourself in the midst of the storm that you're facing that God is still faithful to you. I don't want you to ignore what's happening. I want you to embrace that and recognize God is a faithful God who has loved me far past my ability to understand. And even though it feels like I'm all alone right now, I am not alone because God is still there with me. And having remind yourself of that, then today is the day that you acknowledge that your trial and your struggle, honestly, you just acknowledge it and you embrace it and then you act boldly and confidently by thanking God for everything. There's not a person in this room who is immune from trials and storms that come into our life and wreak havoc upon us. And that's true for the believer and for the unbeliever as well. If you've never placed your faith in Christ, let me ask you this question this morning that I asked earlier. When the storms and trials of life come, who do you turn to? Who do you grasp on to? If you're not a believer in Christ, maybe you're investigating it. You're trying to figure out if this is when those troubles come, who do you grab on to? Today, I want to invite you to turn to Jesus. I don't want you to turn to him just so that you can escape the problems that you're in. I want you to turn to Jesus because he's the answer to the greatest problem that you've got. The Bible clearly proclaims that our our experiences in life are bad. Sometimes we go through difficulties. But the Bible also declares that those who are apart from Jesus face a trial that is far worse than anything they could ever imagine. The Bible declares that all of us are sinners. That means every single one of us in this room. And because we are sinners, every one of us has incurred upon ourselves the penalty of God's eternal punishment for our sins. And that eternal punishment is the worst storm that you will ever face. And every single one of us has that storm in our future apart from faith in Jesus Christ. 
I want you to know today that if you will turn to Jesus, he will save you from the penalty of your sins. He came to die in your place so that you might inherit eternal life. And I want you to know today that if you will trust in Jesus, you will have the one that Paul turned to, the one that the rest of us have to turn to, Jesus Christ, who promises to never leave you and never forsake you. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, and if you have placed your faith and trust in him and made him Lord of your life, then I hope you took one of those communion cups that you've got there. If Jesus is your Lord and Savior, I hope that you have one of these cups in your hand. For those who have confessed Christ as their Savior, I want to lead us in observing the Lord's Supper today. If you don't have one and you'd like one, I have ushers in the back that are ready to serve you. We have one up front that we need, one up front, two, some up here. Just keep your hands raised as they move through the room. I want us to lead us in observing the Lord's Supper this morning. And as we do, and as we partake of this meal, as I said, I don't want you to ignore your struggles and your trials. Rather, I want you to acknowledge them. And as we do, I want us to acknowledge them with grateful hearts for the one who gave his life as a sacrifice for ours. I couldn't help when I read this passage, when Paul wrote, when, when Luke writes there in Acts 27, verse 35, that when he had took bread, he gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. I couldn't help but be reminded of the passage in Luke. Chapter 22, speaking of Jesus, listen to the similarity. And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Brothers and sisters, as our hope rests on the fact that Jesus Christ gave himself for us. Our hope, we recognize, is not in our circumstances. Our hope is not in the relative ease of life. No, it rests in the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross in our place and for our benefit. And so with thankful hearts, we boldly confess our faith in him and in our confidence in his promises. So if you would take, if you've got those, if you would take the top portion, just be careful and just pull the top portion off. And it reveals the wafer that's there. Take that out because the Bible, Jesus says, this is my body which is broken for you. Take and eat. Likewise, in Luke's gospel, we read that Jesus took the cup after supper, saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. Before we drink of it, let me just remind you that it is the blood of Christ shed for sinners like us, and which is our hope. Mary Oliver quoted this, this hymn, on Wednesday night in her testimony for those of you who are here. And this hymn is one of those that I come back to again and again. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest friend, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Listen to the second verse. When darkness veils his loving face, 
I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. Third verse, his oath, his covenant, his blood support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Brothers and sisters, when we lift this cup to our lips, we are declaring to the world that Jesus Christ is our hope. He is our hope on good days. He is our hope on bad days. He is our only hope and our confidence and our faith and our security is wrapped up solely and only in Jesus Christ who shed his blood for us. Brothers and sisters, this is the blood of Christ shed for the remission of sins, take and drink. So this week as believers in Christ, we have the opportunity to honor him by the way that we express our thankfulness. And as we gather with family and with friends, my prayer is, is that you will remember, regardless of what you're going through, this may be for you, as my title of the sermon says, this may be for you a very stormy Thanksgiving. Not because it's raining outside, but because of what you're going through on the inside. But even in a stormy Thanksgiving, our hope has been, is, and always will be in Jesus And I hope and pray that this Thanksgiving, you will remind yourself of that. And as you have the opportunity to boldly discuss it with others, that you will let them know that that is where your hope lies. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God. And it's for the people of God. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this day and for this word and for this reminder that even in the difficult moments of life, we can come to you. Thank you for the reminder of this meal that we have just participated in and taking of your body was broken for us. In the flesh, you came to bear upon your body our sin. Thank you for this blood that we are able to be reminded of as we drink from this cup that we recognize that every drop of your blood was shed for the remission of sins, my sins, my wicked, dirty, rotten, hell-deserving sins. Your blood washed me clean, just as the choir sang this morning. Father, we have so much that we ought to be thankful for. My prayer is, is that for these that are here today, these believers in Christ, who are going through such difficult moments that the storm would not overwhelm them and overpower them, but that they would find themselves rock solidly rooted in you. Now, Father, my prayer also today is that your Holy Spirit would bring conviction to those in this room who may not know you as their Lord and Savior. Maybe they're still investigating. They're still trying to figure some things out. 
My prayer is that your Holy Spirit would bring to mind the fact that their hope can only be in you. And that they would trust in you and drop to their knees before you and confess you as Lord. So Father, have your will and have your way in the remainder of this service. Be glorified and be honored in all that is done in Christ's name. Amen.